for all of your TNA needs, head to tensandaces.com. Are you ready for some TNA? My friends and I aren't your average blackjack players. We're all APs, which, if you don't know, stands for advantage player. As in, we play with a mathematical edge or advantage over the house. Yep, card counters, that would be us. On this podcast, I'm going to bring you true life stories about the AP life. There'll be stories of all the times we fucked up. Stories when we made out like bandits. Stories of losing more in one session than a lot of people make in a year. Stories of getting backed off in one shoe. Stories of average Joes out here doing this card counting thing with some of us crushing it and some of us just making our way through it. So if this is the kind of shit you want to hear, well, listen up, because we're about to give you some TNA. Welcome to the TNA Podcast. This transmission that is our little experiment in imaginary radio is going to be a little bit different than a typical episode of this podcast. On today's show, instead of having a guest that I interview, I'm going to have a co-host, my good friend and fellow AP, Snowman, and I answer a few of the questions that some of you listeners have sent in to the show. And I truly want to thank you guys. The response to the show has been just truly phenomenal. And I can't think of a better way to thank you guys or a better time to show my appreciation than around Thanksgiving by having us answer some of the questions that you guys have sent in. So without further ado, here's the snowman and I giving it a go at answering your question. Tom from Germany asked, can you make an adequate living from playing blackjack? That's a great question. In the old days, it was probably easier than today. There are certainly a lot of games, and although the games are probably on average harder to beat than the old days, Mm -hmm. um, they are still very beatable. I think the biggest thing, and you would probably... Well, I was thinking longevity of the games being the the biggest long-term issue where you could definitely beat the games with enough skill and practice and bankroll, but you know, you just you're going to burn places out and then it gets harder and harder to find a good game to play. Yeah, you're definitely going to have to you're definitely going to have to travel and this guy's from Germany, so I don't know what the conditions are like in Germany, but you're definitely going to have to hit the road and maybe revisit places a couple years later and just you're going to have to travel a lot. Probably not going to be good for relationships either would be that with your family kids other family members friends or even romantic relationships do you agree yeah definitely it would it would be much better for kind of a solo person who uh, is okay with doing lots of traveling as opposed to someone who has a lot of uh, connections where they need to be home by 9 p.m every night and also if you do have a spouse or a significant other it, it pretty 
important that they're on board and they understand the math and they trust you. Like we have a buddy that we were talking, me and you were talking the other day that he's really lucky. He found the unicorn and she's really cool, understands, has her own hobbies. Um, he's not a full-time AP. Um, he has a, another gig he does full-time, but she's really understanding when he travels and stuff like that. And that's a rare find. Definitely. If he's out there, if you find a girl like that, Keep latch her. onto her. Tom would also like to know what our views are on the future of blackjack in terms of how technology is going to affect uh, our ability to play and their ability to surveil us. That's another great question. Um, you know, I think for decades, people have been uh, talking about the ultimate decline of blackjack, and it still hasn't come. I mean, I would say as time goes on, games slowly get worse, but sometimes they even get better, though, in certain markets. But, you know, the general trend is toward mm-hmm. worse game, but they're not dead by any means. And I, I think surveillance certainly improves, especially you know when you have license plate readers in casinos once your you say your car has been tagged and they're going to know as soon as you're in the parking lot that's mm-hmm. bad a facial recognition coming into the casinos so even if you're playing unrated they will know you're there that's also bad but i actually don't think that's biggest threat uh, to me it seems like the real threat is going to be the death of just table games in general I mean, mm-hmm. just in our local market here the number of slot machines has boomed but the number of table games really hasn't gone up. It blackjack in particular at a lot of casinos is actually sees less and less floor space as time goes on. Absolutely. And then like over the weekend, I was at an adjacent market to where we're at. They have a stadium blackjack thing set up. I can only imagine if that's successful, how that's just going to shrink, you know, playable blackjack tables. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I've come to notice that in many casinos now, the number of Spanish 21 one tables outnumbers the number of blackjack tables yes uh, so so <sighs> It's getting worse, but I think it's fairly slow, and I don't think it's so much surveillance or the rules that are going to kill the game. It's just the tables will just disappear. And we see it already in other things like uh, iRoulette, which is a new electronic version of roulette where mm-hmm. the players just have a screen in front of them. There's no chips being moved around. And for them, for the casino, it's great because it lowers labor costs, right? No one has to scoop chips. No one has to sort chips. No one has to stack chips. I mean, once they get to the point where you can swipe your credit card right at the table and just play on a screen, you know, I mean, they won't even need any person to run it. It'll be like a slot machine. So I think we've also seen like an electronic version of craps uh, arrive. Craps, yeah. 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 So, you know, in, for casinos, they want to have games that make the most money with as little labor as possible. And slot machines are ideal. So uh, mm-hmm. I don't. And in the case of the iRoulette, another reason why is because they do a span every four 45 seconds versus Uh-oh. every minute and a half or how, however long it takes for players to have their bets ready. There's a countdown. I don't know if you ever, if you watched, if you watched them before, I, I, I kind of stood there for a few minutes and watched and asked a few questions just because I was curious. Not that I'd ever play that. Yeah. They had like a 45 second countdown, at least the one I was watching and it, they can make whatever bets they have to make, which it makes sense that it would take less time because you don't have to wait for the ne- the guy next to you to get out of your way to, you know, place your chip here, there or whatever. You just touch your button. And then it, there it is, you know, kind of like a video game. Yes. Uh, and what's sad about that, and this might be slightly off topic, but is that we, you know, in the case of
case of roulette, you know, in the old days, it was single zero roulette. And then they'd gone to double zero roulette, which increased the house edge significantly. And now we're even seeing triple zero roulette wheels, which increases the edge that much yet again. And so you would hope in the case of iRoulette, since it drastically decreases labor costs, that you would you would also see the house edge go down. You know, it's like, say, back to single zero roulette. But in reality, it'll probably just continue to go up, which is terrible, not, not only for APs, but just for all gamblers. But they're not really getting a good gamble for their money at that point. Yeah, it's, not, it's similar to CSMs and um, uh, six to five blackjack. The problem yes. with the reason they're proliferating is because people play them. And I know you can beat CSMs in certain situations, but we're not going to get into that here. But if people didn't play CSMs or six to five blackjack, they would disappear. And in some markets, that's actually happened. They tried to put six to five out and they tried to put CSMs out and people just didn't play them. So they got rid of them. Yes. But in other markets, people don't know. I think maybe somehow educating the populace on not playing the shitty games will make the good games available. Or then maybe they'll just eliminate table games altogether. I see pits shrinking dramatically. Mm-hmm. And I've traveled around a little bit during this coronavirus thing and I've seen pits shrink. And they're using the excuse of one particular casino that I was in in the last week. They used to have two separate areas in the casino where they had pit. Now they completely eliminated the one end of the casino that had a pit and expanded the other pit by two tables and added more slots on the other side where the other pit was. Basically, they replaced, you know, a 15 table pit with two tables on the other pit they already had, expanding that pit and then put slots in there. So I've seen that happen. I I see that happen all over the place using his coronavirus as an excuse to do that. Do you you see the same thing? Definitely. I certainly witnessed since the coronavirus has showed up and a lot of casinos were closed for a time that as they've reopened, many of them have reopened the slot machines, but not actually reopened the pit. And uh, that's a little bit of a worrying trend uh, because you want the pits to reopen. In fact, many casinos that had pitch uh, double deck games currently do not offer those games because they don't want players touching the cards due to the coronavirus. Of course, that makes no sense because you're still touching the ships, but casino managers logic on that yeah they, like you know the casino up here that watches at the top they take a at each shuffle they take a rag they spray it down with some cleaner and then they wash the top of the chips i don't understand how they think that does any good yeah quite often uh many casinos will have dedicated people walking around with some sort of disinfectant and a rag and they'll they'll wipe the seats or the top of the table or something and i'll often joke when they come to where i'm at to, to ask them to wash my chips for me and of course <laughs> they'll either decline or some of the uh, smarter personnel will say they'll do it for a fee, which I th- find hilarious. Um, but yeah, right. the, it seems like the thing that would be most important to clean would be exactly the chips, but we don't we don't witness that. Sure, for sure. One thing that I, as an AP, that is an advantage of this is there are some casinos where the floor staff, the pit boss, or even sometimes the whole floor is responsible for making sure tables are clean, wiping down chairs. Mm-hmm. I've seen, I'm sure you've seen that too. Mm-hmm. Floor personnel going out and cleaning the table when someone gets up or cleaning the, you know their chair and their area, <laughs> wiping it down. I think that's great because if they're busy doing that shit, how much time do they have to watch us? Yeah, and there's def- still surveillance and whatever, but it's definitely a plus. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, the a lot of the supervisors are now also housekeepers, so yeah, that, that's less time for them to observe the game. Because they're spending more time doing busy work cleaning. Right, and when they they are not cleaning, they're probably maybe more fatigued from and annoyed probably from having to do that shit. Yeah, but they're just probably not even the time they are doing their actual job. They're probably not you know human nature on ball as they normally would be. 
Definitely. Uh, so Richard from the BGA forum asked, do you think that we're better off having a community or a forum or some online source or even just a network to share your day-to-day experiences with? Uh, what do you think about that, Snowman? Uh, that's uh, another great question. Uh, I definitely think it's helpful uh, in many regards. Uh, one is you have a group to pass information about uh, games back and forth to, especially uh, people who are local to you, if you're in the same market, to talk to about this game has shown up or this game has gone away or this game has changed for the better or worse. That's very powerful because it's, if you're in a market with a lot of casinos, it's really hard to stay on top of everything that's going on. Promotions are another big thing. Promotions are always changing. Yes. Sometimes casinos blunder badly and give promotions that are great for APs and having people that may have caught on to this and to share it with you, very good. And me and you were just talking the other day. Was was it me and you were talking about this? I don't remember. Yes. About how we missed out on a uh, there were certain players who made like certain people that we know for example there's been a play in our local market area where it was a promotion where players that were keen to it made like 300 grand on it that you and i completely missed out on we totally missed that opportunity and if those people weren't in our network because uh we, we would have made a bunch of money we would have definitely hammered it we were actually at one of the properties when while that was going on and didn't realize that it was going on right yeah yeah uh, another good example uh, you know, recently, because of the pandemic, there was a point in time where there was a coin shortage. And, you know, like Wendy's would say, bring right. in all your coins and we'll give you a free Frosty or something like that. Not really worth your time. And what what's hilarious is a lot of the casinos, when you bring your change, it actually charge you, you know, 5% or 10%. Mm-hmm. And some of the casinos that said, oh, you know, if you bring your change in, we won't charge you a fee. You know, how generous to actually give you 100 cents on the dollar for your money. Yeah, the money but, that they think that you're going to spend there. Yes, yeah. yes. But interestingly, one of the larger tribal casinos in our area, I received an email one day and it said, bring for whatever amount of money you bring in, they'll give you a double. They'll give you 100% cash up front and they'll give you an equivalent amount in either table game or slot free play on your card. So for example, if you brought in $200 in change, they give you $200 on the spot and then load an additional $200 onto your card that you could either withdraw as table game, free plays, or uh, through the slots. And so I didn't take full advantage I grabbed the change I had. It was about $200. I took it in. I got my extra money. All was great. One of the other APs who uh, we work closely with uh, took full advantage of that. And in fact, he took in, I think it was, I think he said $990 in change. Now, I believe he, he used that. his wife also as a as a mule. <laughs> For that that thing, right? Uh, he, yeah, very possible. And it, so he didn't have nine hundred ninety dollars worth of change. What he did is went to local car washes and laundromats and, and exchanged his money for right. their quarters, and then took all the change into the casino. And he he took nine hundred ninety dollars worth of change in, and he got nine hundred ninety in cash, and then he got another nine hundred ninety in free play. So this, you know, this didn't go on for very long. I think it was less than two weeks before they ended the promotion. I'm sure by then they had plenty enough change, mm-hmm. uh, but it. It's great. You know, it's one that he he would not have known of that promotion, most likely, if I hadn't told him. So it's there's a lot of value in having people around you to work. Absolutely. With. That's one we didn't miss out on. Well, maybe me and you didn't take a full advantage of it, but somebody in our in our orbit orbit did. Aerodynamics from the Blackjack Apprenticeship Forum 
has a great question here. I think you'll agree, Snowman. He asks, well, he doesn't so much ask as he states that when he first started out, he didn't realize the value of penetration and he focused more on things such as if the game was a stand 17 or hit 17 or resplit aces or late surrender or other game rules and that he wishes that it was drilled into him more when he was a younger AP earlier in his AP career about the importance of penetration and if we could touch on that. Sure. Uh, yeah, penetration is vitally important. In, in fact, oftentimes when I run into new counters, that's the thing I really try to impress upon them is, uh, you know, when you're going to a particular casino, you know their rules ahead of time. You know the house edge. Mm-hmm. And if it's a bigger casino, once you're in the casino, the the most important thing is find the table with the best penetration, right? Not not find the prettiest dealer or the most talkative dealer or the nicest dealer, but find the dealer doing the best penetration. And, yeah, uh, and and also something that I, I know you do and I've actually learned from you is that you'll talk to him and make conversation and you'll say like, is this your table tonight? You know, acting like you just want to have spend time with them, but really you're asking because you want to know, hey, is this dealer giving me good penetration? Is there, are they going to be here for the next six hours or are they just a breaker? Exactly. You know? Yeah, it, it, it's quite funny that I do that often. I guess you maybe do. a lot I, of, oh. Yes. I learned that from you and I use that. Yeah. So perhaps all the dealers think that I want to be their friend or something and uh, i mean the ones with good penetration i do want to be their friends so but yes that's exactly why i ask is you know in with a lot of the joints that i visit frequently i already have a a list of which dealers give excellent pens so i'm already on the lookout for those dealers and if they're not there then i'll generally check the tables before i sit at one because i'm looking for the best pen and now unfortunately you know some smaller casinos uh, there's one here local to us it's a really good uh, game uh there's only one blackjack table and it's very small casino so it's unfortunate that if you sit there and you're getting bad penetration you're just going to get bad penetration right there's no way to get around that issue but yes definitely you know it's good to identify beatable games and then once you've done that and you're in the casino scout the tables find the best penetration and even as a slight tangent to that and i'm great with tangents and other things to look for are weak dealers like brand new dealers are often great and um, mispays yeah 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 correct yeah. mispays pace. In fact, the other day I was speaking to an AP friend of ours and I told him I was at a table the other day and blackjacks paid five to two. And he, and he, at first it took him a moment to, <laughs> to catch on, but he caught on rather quickly. And what I mean by five to two, because a normal blackjack only pays three to two, you know, and of course at the six to five games, they only pay six to five. But I had found a new dealer at where blackjacks paid five to two. And by that, I mean, when you got a blackjack, they would pay them first. So I'd get my three to two. And if you left your original bet out there if the (laughs) dealer busted she would then repay she'd pay all the winners and also pay the blackjack again not only even money the second time was she leaving the cards out instead of wiping no she she was no she was picking up the cards correctly but she she would just see stacks of chips out there and every spot that had uh chips got paid it paid you know at that point so during that session i had multiple blackjacks and the blackjacks paid five to two which was great right and you know it's uh, you know, this gets back to the, is this angle shooting? It's like, well, you know, I don't know. I generally, when that happens, I won't take the money immediately. I'll let them mispay. I'll wait mm-hmm. until they paid everyone. I'll wait till they scoop all the cards and put them in the discard tray. And then I'll take the bet. So I figure I've given them time to recognize and correct their error. And if they haven't, then free money. So in my opinion, that's more on her floor than her. Or yeah, I believe you said it was a her. Yes. Uh, they're supposed to be watching them. Somebody that knew that, that you, you, 
you found a unicorn yourself there because someone in that new usually has a shadow with them to prevent stuff like that. Correct. Yes. And I think right now, because of the pandemic, a lot of casinos are really hurting to, uh, mm-hmm. to maintain dealers. So it's, it's a little bit tough. But yeah, new dealers often, they're often very nervous. Sometimes they'll pay pushes. Sometimes they will not take money when you, they've actually beat you. And generally in those cases, if they make a mistake that's against me, I'll point it out. If they make a mistake that's for me, I just won't say anything. And so that's in addition to looking for the best penetration, oftentimes looking for new dealers is also really good. Because if you're at a table where blackjacks are being paid five to two, that's a great game, regardless of the pandemic. Right. Off the top, it's a winner. Yes. So yeah, that's uh, that would be an awesome game if you could find it. Another thing yes. to consider, though, is a lot of casinos, speaking of penetration, they're notched. Uh, the, the penetration is notched. And at some places, I can think of two local joints that are notched really like around a deck and some some dealers go even deeper than that than, than the notch so that's something to be looked to look forward to and, and as the previous question was asking about uh, your network and talking on forums and stuff like that you'll often get information like that from the forums or from other people or your network that hey such and such casino has a notch you know six deck shoe cutting off 0.75 or something like that which is you know phenomenal so that's even better than because in that case you don't have to even look for specific dealers other than some are slower or faster or whatever definitely yeah some of the casinos you know where they have a notch in the shoe and the notches or the notch is what determines the cut card placement and yeah some casinos have very deep penetration as as a result of where the notch is placed so if you're if you find one of those casinos it's great because yeah then the penetration is basically consistent across all dealers but yes even within that some dealers will kind of twist that cut card a little bit forward or backward mm-hmm. so in some cases you can actually find dealers that will give you even slightly better better penetration than the cut card norm or the notch normally would which is great and then you bring up another great point in addition to penetration is just super important and you know, say you're in a joint where it's uh it's a notch in the shoe so all the dealers basically have the same pen and in that case what you want to find are weak dealers new dealers dealers who deal very fast dealers who make mistakes you know then you go down to the next most important thing you know to try to find a good yes for example the place i was playing at a couple nights ago there was a dealer he's a great fun guy he's adequately fast enough but he likes to talk a lot and he'll like he'll like stop his game and lean forward and tell the joke and his penetration was above average and but his game speed was below average so I moseyed on at one point. Yes, I know which dealer you're speaking about. In, I mean, super nice dealer. guy. Great guy. Yes, but the but the game, your hands per hour go through the floor, and it's just not worth it. And I've tried to get him to go faster, you know, but he's uh, he, he just slows the... I, I can't believe that the casino even likes him because he's killing their win rate because yeah. he's dealing so few hands an hour. So, But, but yes, to, to get back to the viewer's question, which is the importance Listener. of penetration or listener yeah i guess we're uh, not fancy enough to have to oh. be on youtube yet okay okay i don't there's no camera on me okay great yeah well thank god <laughs> yeah but yes penetration uh is super important and if you're at a big casino with lots of tables before you sit down you should go to every single table and try to identify what is what table is going to be the the biggest advantage for you yeah oftentimes when we're playing together one of us 
court and maybe there's two or three of us and say shift changed and the dealer we were we were getting good penetration and you know speed wise on the table and then the shift change and the new dealer comes in it's terrible and one of us will get up and go walk around and scout okay that table over there is you know what i mean you definitely don't just because you've been you're comfortable somewhere don't just sit there and just play forever because you got comfortable or you like your table mates the penetration sucks you're wasting your time especially on a like an eight deck shoe game because it they're already a slug as it is i mean it takes a long time often hours to find a good shoe that's playable where you can ramp significantly and if you're having two and a half or three decks of eight cut off good luck with that you know yeah Definitely, yeah. There's nothing more frustrating than finally getting... Uh, in say a six or eight deck shoe where a, a very very high count where you can finally get in a good ramp and then and then see the yellow cut card come out that is the worst feeling ever because you know you want to play out those other hands so yeah and it happens you're so that's a good point it happens so often if or even like a ha- if if they're cutting off like one of eight you can usually ramp at the end of 60 mm, percent of the shoes at least for a couple hands but if they're cutting off two of eight uh, it's usually almost always right when you're just a hand or two where you're like, okay, one more hand, I can start ramping. And that's when it, ha- it, it, all, in- inevitably it happens right then and there. You're so right about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if it's a six deck or I mean, if it's an eight deck shoe and they're cutting off two, I wouldn't even, I, I just wouldn't even, there would have to be some other reason to get me to sit at the game. Like six their, out whole, of eight. their whole carding or something like that. They're Correct. something like that. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Six of eight. Uh, I don't even want to play seven of eight. Okay. Now we're, there are games very consistently 7.5 out of 8. 8 deck games aren't that great that great to begin with, but when it's 7.5 out of 8, it makes it pretty decent. Same with 6 deck games, you know, if you're 4.5 out of 6, oh, I mean, I'll play a 4.5 out of 6, but I'm not happy about it. 5 out of 6, pretty decent. You get anything above 5 out of 6, you know, now we're talking a great game. But, you know, some days, if you're in a small casino and there's only one table, you're going to be stuck with whatever the penetration is. You know, maybe whatever, you're in a bigger place, but just happens to be everyone that day is, it has terrible penetration. So, you know, definitely shop around for good games. You may not want to play that day, or you may want to go look for other AP opportunities if definitely. there's no games. And that's, again, where the network comes in. You might never be there. I did quite a bit of traveling this past weekend. There was one place that I, I have heard that was not that great, but it was like literally on the same road to the place that I was going that was pretty great. And I called an AP friend of ours said, hey, because he's more local to that area. I said, is it worth even stopping in? He said, yeah, some nights they have a good double deck game. So I stopped. I went to the other place, played for a while. And in the evening, I went to the place to play the double deck game. The pen was terrible. A double deck game, obviously. And they weren't even playing one deck. And then they were shuffling. So, I mean, I I just then I, I just got up and left and played a shoe game there that was decent. And then took off that again. That goes back to your network, being able to see things and hear things that like I would not have driven down to that area to play that game just because of what I what I know and what I've heard. But I mean, it was I didn't realize it was literally on the same road like 20 minutes before the other place. And I I stopped in and played because it was right there, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, the next question is listener death die death asked. 
if we think there's a middle ground for advantage play for folks who can't really commit to a huge bankroll or a huge number of hours, but they still want to step up their game from just playing basic strategy. It says that he's just thinking about the guy who goes to Vegas or someplace like that maybe a few times a year, but feels they can do more than flat bet and just stick to base strategy. What do you think, Snowman? Man, these are all great questions. There are games, there are a lot of games that could be beat just with basic strategy and flat betting. No ramp required. And they're beatable, Not be, they still have a a house edge that favors the casino and but you can beat the casino because the comps they give are so generous so there's one place that it was very local to me i loved it it was the locals joint it wasn't the largest casino it wasn't the fanciest but it had the best comps and it was a game where the house edge was about a half a percent it was a double deck game it was a hit 17 no okay but not great not great it was okay it was okay but not great uh the pen was very dealer dependent but the comps were phenomenal Mm -hmm. and it turns out if you just flat bet and played correct basic strat, uh, you know, no ramp at all, you, you, you wouldn't even have to count the game. Just play big, correct basic strategy, which already, you know, 99 out of 100 people won't even play correct basic strategy. You just got to be the one person to play correct basic strategy. If you just did that and flat bet, by the time you factor in the comps, you're already beat. You're, you're already ahead of the game. And this particular place gave comps on a little card like you know, many casinos have players cards now, but the mm-hmm. comps, you could go right over to a slot machine and you could withdraw them at a hundred cents on the dollar. You got a hundred percent back. And if you played on the days where they had double points day, you got twice as much money. And, and oh, go ahead. You're probably going to say what I was going to say. Oh, go ahead. Yes. And in this particular joint, if you used any of those comps in any of their restaurants, you got double points you know, again, you know, basically they give you half off your bill. If it's ten dollars for bill. your food, they you turn, they took five off, five dollars in gas off. Yeah. Yeah. So you and, they, and this place had a nice seafood restaurant, had a really nice steak restaurant, and you know, I had trouble burning down the comps fast enough because they would give them to me at such a rapid clip. So now eventually I got backed off there. Uh, I was told no more table games at all. Welcome to come play slots, of course, but I can't play table games there. Yeah. But for someone else, they might actually be better for even for an AP to play that game with almost no spread at all. When I mean no spread, like a one to three, maybe even a one to four spread. You're not spreading a lot, but you're also not burning out the game. And mm-hmm. just from the comps you receive, you get so much back. It makes it beatable. So and another thing, another thing to key on here is a lot of places you you don't necessarily get your comps immediately. At this joint, if you ask the you know the pit boss, hey, can you close out my account so I can go eat? They would do it immediately. Some places you got to wait 24 hours or 48 yes. hours or whatever. So for the person who's not, you know, they're just going here, they play like, you know, they play a couple times a year, maybe three, four times a year. They're not going to have to wait till the next time they come to take advantage of this. Correct. Now, with that said, there are some places where the comp system is terrible. It's so terrible, it's not even worth getting a, getting a player's card. Like, yes. You just it's you know how they think it's some sort of reward system it is not so you have to kind of shop around to find casinos with excellent comp systems but for a casual player i actually think it's a great way to go because you don't have to you don't have to spend nearly as much time studying the game right you don't have to you know find accounting strategy you don't have to practice counting you don't have to do all the deviations, deviations. Yeah. all you need to do 
is correct basic strategy, and that's pretty easy for most people to get down. Plus, you're and, not going to get kicked out playing correct basic strategy correct. and ramping just a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, they're not going to kick you out. So that, as a first step for someone, that would be excellent. If you're not playing a lot, you don't want to have huge bankroll requirements, but you do, but you do enjoy playing and, and you want to cut down the house edge as much as possible. I tell people quite often, if you just played at these casinos with good comps, you know, where when you factor in the comps, it wipes out the house edge. You could just go in there and flat bet the rest of your life, literally the rest of your life, and you'll never lose your money, right? Because because the comps have nullified the house edge from the game. Mm-hmm. How great is that? You get free entertainment for life. Sounds pretty great to me. And another thing that, that I used to do is there are certain casinos where the game's maybe not great. But the comps are great, so that is the, those are the places where I might might have played rated and took advantage of hotel stays if they they give them generous cash back, yeah, whatever I, the deal is, take advantage of that, and then at some casino that's closer by that has a better actual blackjack game and maybe shitty comps, go there and then hit them hard with your AP skills and just you know play enough at the other place to keep the comps rolling in. Just, you know, do a polite one to five spread or something like that. Don't hit them too hard. I lasted at a place like that for years and years and years. And eventually, eventually they'll catch on to what you're doing and they'll shut you off too. But that's another way to do it too. Yeah, as you, you use the term comp hustling. And those joints are really right. comp hustling joints. Often they don't have the best games. That They still have beatable games, but often won't have the best games. But what they make up for it in the comp so if you can for the listeners if they find a casino that has an excellent comp structure then really just just get basic strategy down cold you don't even need to count you don't even need to do deviations just go in flat bet have fun yeah enjoy the comps when they come your way yeah you get free rooms get free dinners for you and whoever you're with uh you know spa treatments if if that's your goal and you just want to go a few times a year it's entertainment you just don't want to lose your ass is I think kind of the question he was asking. That's perfect. Definitely. Yeah. You can get to a point where you could gamble for free forever. And, th- and that's pretty neat. I mean, with for, some variance, you may, you might lose yes. a grand on one trip and the next trip you make three, you know, but in the end you're going to be about even. Correct. Yes. Yeah. The variance will still be very high. You know, if you're playing, say you're going to play a green chip game where you're just going to bet $25 a hand, right? Or you're going to play a black chip game where you're just going to bet $100 a hand. Now you're still going to need a lot of money, even though in the long run, you're going to break even in the short run, the variance will be very high. Even at the say $25 game, your, your swings per hour could be $500, right? You know, $25 a hand hour later, you're $500 in the hole with double some splits. So now in the long run, you're just going to tread water, which is awesome. You're still going to need a number of thousands of dollars just to handle the short-term swings. And, you know, if you're in many places, if you're betting black chips, you're going to get phenomenal comps, you know, just betting if you just flat bet $100 a hand. But you're going to need a lot of money set aside just to handle the swings. And by a lot of money, I mean, you know, even flat betting, you're going to probably want, you know, 20000 or thereabouts just, you know, because the swings from day to day will be enormous. So. Yeah, but in the long run, over 10 years, you're going to probably about even. Correct, yeah. In theory, as long as you were playing correctly, you've computed the house edge correctly, and you've uh, correctly calculated what you're getting back in comps, as long as the comps are greater than the edge, you know, the, the amount you're getting in comps per hour is greater than the house edge that you're losing per hour, as long as that math is sound, if you had a starting bankroll 
say $20,000, it should last you the rest of your life, right? It's going to have big up and down swings, but it's always going to just kind of hover around where it started by the time you factor in the call. That's so. that's what people like like Bob Dancer, who's I'm sure most people listening to this know, who's a, a famous uh, video, video poker player. Mm-hmm. Part of his calculation, if you ever heard him talk about on, on his podcast, Gambling with an Edge, he talks about the comps or maybe the game pays 99.8%. But the comps make it to a 1% house edge. If you play on this day that has triple point day and that day and this promotion, that promotion, whatever. It's the same the same principle that you're getting at here. Mm-hmm. An anonymous listener says he's a pretty good blackjack player. He can keep the count pretty well, but he really doesn't understand why splitting eights against a 10 or an ace is a good move. He says he loses most of these hands. What do you think about that, Snowman? I think I know what you're going to say, but I'll let you put it in your words. Sure. Well, in in some cases, if the game allows surrender and you have two eights versus a 10, you surrender. So there's that. And also, when you're splitting the eights, part of it is to lose less. That's what it, in you're, you're splitting the hand. Yes, it increases your variance. Yeah, part which, of that is exactly why you do okay, it. Okay, got yeah. it. And, and some of the advantages when, uh, say, you split the eights and you're delta three. Now you have an 11 versus yes. 10. And, and you should double. So if you can't double down after splitting, splitting eights is even worse, right? If you can surrender, often surrendering is good. Yeah, order uh, of operations. You surrender before yes. splitting. Yeah, and there's there to that end, there was a place uh, neither of us are allowed to play at anymore where you couldn't even split to four hands. It was a double deck game. You couldn't even split to four hands. You couldn't double after split either. You could only split to two hands. And if you're dealt eights versus a ten, you don't even really want to split because if you're dealt another eight, you're stuck. And you, you stuck can't at double sixteen. Down. Yeah, yeah. You're stuck at sixteen. And if you're and you can't double down after splitting. So it's it's really a lose less strategy. Yes, it sucks when exactly. you have two eights against a ten, you split, you're dealt two two more face cards, now you have two eighteens, and you know, if the dealer has twenty or nineteen, and that's forty percent of the time right there, uh you just lose forty percent of the time. And then a bunch of the time you're just gonna push when they have an eight down, and then even if they have a small card down they still might outdraw you so yeah it's a real close case and it's not great but well, surrender itself isn't great you know you, but we surrender assuming you know infinite deck 16s against 9 10 a's mm-hmm. and we know we're already giving up half our bet but it's exactly what you just said it's a lose less proposition and a pair of eights is a really shitty hand against a 10 or an ace we're just cutting our losses and trying to and even if you get two 18s it's not great like you were just alluding to yes but maybe you'll get a double yes and th- that's what you're hoping you're hoping that if you draw two tens you have 18 so those are okay hands if you get aces so they're even better hands if you're dealt a deuce or a tray first now you have substantially better hands that you can hit again um or in the case of where you draw a three now you can double and you know that's actually a pretty good situation as long as the count's not negative yeah it's it, it i'll tell you this if if you're at a high count and you have big bets out and you're dealt two eights against a 10 you just want to surrender right yes you just want to get out of the hand right because it, right. It, it's essentially lowering your variance because yeah there's in a high count and they're showing a face card and you have two eights you're going to end up with exactly two 18s and the dealer's going to have exactly 20 right and you're just going to lose a whole you know whatever you're at the top of your ramp was you're going to lose twice as much so once in a while the universe will really kick you in the shorts and give you some more eights to split oh yeah that networks are great yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe a 
maybe a double here and there too. Yeah, yeah. Just to yeah, if you're at TC four and above, they'll be nice enough to give you a deuce, and then you want to double your ten v ten, which of, of course, course I yeah. And I you know they're just the play I really don't like making is ten v you should double ten v ten at TC four and above, and I don't like that double. And you know, was the vast on a shoe majority... game on a, on a single double deck game definitely love that double, but on a shoe game I'm right with you, snowman. Yes, yeah. I don't I don't like I actually it, I tell people when this comes up I much prefer doubling 10 versus ace. Now you do 10 versus ace at TC plus three and above because when the dealer has the ace showing, they're only one quarter as likely to have a pat 20. And that, you know, just, I can't even say, I don't always even double 10 V 10 at TC plus four and above. I, I'm, that's what we're all kind of waffle because if I, if I draw a 10, which is what happened 30% of the time, you're just like, okay, well, I probably push this hand in the, in the 8% of the time when you draw an ace, you're feeling, yeah, okay, well, this is pretty good you know I'm, I'm doing well here but all the times where you're you draw a nine or lower you're just like man i just threw a whole bunch of money away would you keep an ace die count for that kind of situation that might be beneficial yeah oh yeah uh you know generally me personally i generally only keep a side counts in double deck games i mean there's certainly a lot of value even in shoe games to keep an a side count especially um, for uh if you're hustling on side bets mm-hmm, definitely um yeah that would help a lot if you we're keeping an a side count in the 10 v 10 situation yeah that's super helpful you, you can extract a lot of additional information especially in a double deck yeah listener rodrigo asked what's better to play dan 17 games or h17 games and he also asked what the difference between spanish 21 and blackjack is i mean that's a fairly simple question but maybe someone needs to hear it the answer to it so sure. uh what do you what do you think snowman sure uh yes uh stand uh, games where the dealer stands on soft 17 much better for the player than games where the dealer hits soft 17 like uh, a point two two different yeah, mouth it, edge i think yeah it's think, one of like the la- yeah it's one of the larger uh, rules that benefit the player, you know, substantially. And the in the main reason is that in a hit soft 17 game, the dealer is uh, less likely to end on exactly 17, right? They're, you know, they have increased chances of, of making a better hand than 17. And that's really why it's bad. You know, there are some basic strategy is ever so slightly different between a, a stand 17 and a hit 17 game, you know, just a handful. I think there's like five, five different plays, not counting deviation. I yeah, believe. yeah, it, yeah. Very similar, but there's a, a couple small changes. Um, but yeah, if you can find, it, I mean, for me, if you give me two games with identical rules and one is stand 17, the other one's hit, I'm gonna take stand 17 all day long. And yeah, depending on even if it's a stand 17 and they've taken some other rule away, oftentimes I would still prefer the stand 17 game. You know, kind of depending on uh, actual makeup of the game. I've, uh, in my experience, come to find that a lot of times games that are stand 17, for whatever reason, tend to have better rules like surrender and resplit aces and double any two for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what that reason is, but yeah, it, yeah uh, it seems like almost uh, like it comes as a package that you know whoever's making the rules for a particular game, if it stands 17, they're giving you other excellent rules to go along with it. And you know, in the in the old days, you know, on the Las Vegas Strip, all the kind of higher denomination tables mm-hmm. were pretty much all stand 17, and they had great you know resplit aces, late surrender, you know, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, double after split, double any two. Um, they, they were great games. So the number of 
understand soft 17 games is probably slowly dwindling over time. But yeah, if you can find a S17 game, play it. For sure. And what about, uh, he asked the question about the difference between Spanish 21 and Blackjack. You want to take a stab at that? Sure. Yeah, I'm not an expert on Spanish uh, at all. But, you know, Spanish is basically Blackjack, but where they've removed all of the 10 tens from uh the shoe just the actual tens not 10 value yeah. cards just yeah, actual yeah. so they've reduced 25 percent of the 10 value cards so you're less likely to get 20s you're, you're much less likely to get blackjacks and they counter that by giving you a bunch of other favorable rules for like doubling after any number of cards 21s automatically pay you know if you get a blackjack it never pushes if the dealer also has blackjack six seven oh, eight suited yeah. pays three to one oh all kind yes. of stuff like that yeah so at the end of the day though the fact that they took the tens out hurts enormously you know so if you that's a little complicated question but i'll let you uh, yeah i mean in a normal blackjack game if you took all the tens out you're starting at tc minus four right which is terrible tc minus four is when you want to be in the bathroom or faking a phone call so you don't have to play anymore so that's what you're starting and the basic strategies are actually again i'm not an expert i you know i've had kind of the basics explained to me but you know you're doing a lot less uh doubling on 9, 10, 11s, a lot less soft doubling. You're hitting the vast majority of your 12s, perhaps maybe all of your 12s, most of you your You hit 12s and 13s versus anything yes. up to 5 and 6, and you play your 14s, like basically like you play a 12. Yeah. Blackjack, you hit against deuce and, deuce and 3. I, again, I'm not an expert on Spanish either. A friend, a few of our buddies are uh, reading, uh, Katrina Walker has a book about uh, Spanish 21, and that's the definitive source for anybody interested in that. I haven't done the math, but I've just read this, that Spanish house edge is actually slightly better than the average blackjack house edge game if you play Spanish strategy. And there also might be a benefit of being able to get away with counting more often because you're less likely to be suspected, although that's not always the case. Uh, Correct, yeah. Definitely uh, the pit probably watches Spanish games far less than they watch blackjack games. They probably don't believe it could be beat. Uh, I've also been told by someone in the know that as the count goes up in Spanish, the advantage, your advantage ramps much faster as the count goes up. And as the count goes down, the house edge does not ramp as fast. So mm. it's certainly something, it's a, another arrow in your quiver. If you can add it in, if you're at a place that has a really good Spanish game or maybe a lack of blackjack games, uh, as long as you yes. learn to play correctly. One of our fellow APs who's played it quite a bit points out that people play blackjack very poorly. And those same people play Spanish even worse, right? Because they're not, they're just Mm -hmm. not hitting the 12s, 13s, 14s. They're doing all the soft doubles the same. They're still too aggressively doubling on the 9, 10s, and 11s. So they're just, you know, so the the actual house edge is probably much higher on the Spanish than even on the blackjack for how, for how poorly they play. Oh, the take of the table. Yeah, for sure. The, the whole, uh, they, look, something you just brought up that I completely agree with is having another uh, arrow in your quiver. Because like, say you're, say you go to a shop and say there's no dealers, nobody's penetration is terrible everywhere you go. You walk around, everything's terrible. But you, you just drove two hours to get to this shop. So they do have a Spanish table. So maybe having that in your toolbox, mm-hmm. in that case, would be in it. You know, at least your trip isn't wasted because you can at least AP somewhat on the Spanish table, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the local joints here, uh, one of our fellow APs who he, he'll go back and forth. He, he'll play blackjack or Spanish. And this particular place has one dealer in, in particular. She, her penetration is phenomenal and it's always phenomenal. It just it never mm-hmm. varies. It's exactly the same. And basically, it's the lady you want to follow around. 
right? So, but you know, many of the days she's a primary dealer on a blackjack table, but some days she's a primary dealer on a Spanish table. And on those days, you know, you really should just be playing Spanish then, right? Because she's there and the penetration's awesome. So yeah, if, if that, for people who can add that in, definite plus. All right, so here's the next question. Paul stated that he was playing a lot early, earlier this year and he had his bankroll up to 76,000 from a starting bankroll of 4,300. But since July, he's only had one winning session and he's given back $54,000 of that money. He wants to know what he should do. Should he keep playing, even though he's been getting steamrolled each time he goes, but he says he plays correctly. And his friends think that he's a compulsive gambler and they're trying to get him to stop. And he says he really doesn't know if he should keep going with this or put a stop to it. What should he do? Right now, he has $37,000 left and he has a bet spread of $100 to $1,500. What do you think, Snowman? Uh, Well, if he was spreading, if he started with $4,300 and he was spreading $100 to $1,500, he was massively overbetting his bankroll to begin with. <laughs> Hell yeah. With. And Barry's so God smiled on him. Yeah. So to go to start with forty three hundred and ramp it, you know, that much without going broke. I mean, his risk of ruin just off the top of my head was probably, you know, 80 percent or higher. You know, yeah. And the fact that he's given back fifty four thousand of that seventy six that he was up to is not a big surprise. Yeah. That's just the other side of the same variance. Like, uh, you know, if just to put it in perspective, say you're playing in a game where you can split to four hands and double after split. Right. And say you're at the top of your ramp, you're at fifteen hundred dollars. Now say you get say you get four eights, you split to four. Say the dealer shows the six, and you you get four eights, and you split to four hands. And then you're dealt deuces and trays as your second card in every hand. So you double on all four hands. So you now have twelve thousand dollars on the table, right? Is that correct? Fifteen hundred times eight, yeah, twelve thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you only you only had forty three hundred. You wouldn't even have had enough money to put out there. So my point, and in, in in fact, I've seen this happen to you. This exact we were you and I were at a game one day, and you were dealt four eights. Dealer had a six showing. In fact, same scenario. You were dealt four eights. You split to four hands. You were dealt deuces and trays on every single hand. You doubled on all four hands. So you had eight bets out there. Interestingly, the guy at third base had a stiff. You know, and he hit the stiff. Drew it, drew a 10, of course. And <laughs> the dealer, I don't remember what the down card was. I think the I don't down remember card this made, hand at all. I'm just going with whatever you're saying. No, I, yeah, I remember it very clearly. And uh, I think the dealer had a 10 down or a large card down. And, but the next card off happened to be a small card. And the dealer made a hand and scooped all eight of your bets. So, you know, I've had, uh, I have had <laughs> the four split to four hands with four doubles. I've, I've had that happen to me before. I think the last time you split this split to seven, you split nines to seven hands. Yes. At a place yeah. that lets you split anything but face cards on limited number of times. Yes. Yeah. And I had think, doubles on that. Yes. So I think two, two of them, I had doubles. So it, it definitely can, it doesn't happen a lot, but it can happen. But in the, in the viewers case, Let's, you know, if our listener, sorry, uh, the viewers without video, um, <laughs> which would be a listener. Oh, go okay. ahead. <laughs> okay. Got it. So in, in his case, if his top, if the top of his ramp is 1500 and he ran into this, he'd have to have $12,000 to play the hand. And sure. just as happened to you, you know, just because even if it's at a high count and the dealer has a six showing, occasionally they're going to have a five in the hole. And when that happens, if you're at a high count, you, you rest assured, it's going to be a 10 rolling off next and you, they're going to scoop all your bet. My point is that, with that ramp and that starting bankroll, they're massively overbetting their bankroll. And by rights, they should have gone broke right away, right? The fact that they spun it up to 70 plus thousand meant that they had extremely good variance. Now that they're down 50,000 or whatever the number was, it's 54. just very, okay, 76. it's just very, 
54, yeah. Oh, okay. So it's just variance on the other side at that point. So well, he's given back 54 of the 76. He has 37 left. Oh, okay. Got it. Uh, those numbers seem a little off. I mean, I don't know. That's just, I'm just reading what he wrote. I didn't, I didn't check his math. So with, so with that saying, I mean, if he still has 30,000, uh, recalculate a ramp, right? At at 30,000, he should be betting something like, you know, I don't know what the game rules are, you know, more like a 25 to say $250 ramp. That would be, or maybe a 25 to $300 ramp or go. Yeah. Cause that would be a 25 grand would, would be about, again, we don't know what the rules are. $25,000 at a 25 yes. would be, yes. would be okay. Uh, risk, risk a rune territory. Correct. Yeah. That would bring his ROR way down. I mean, you know, sub 1%. So, uh, so what I say quit, well, the first thing is if you're going to play, uh, you, he should, if he doesn't want to go broke, if that's the goal, uh, he needs to, yeah, he needs to resize yeah. his, uh, his bet ramp to something in the say 25 to 250 or 25 to $300 range. That would that's exactly, that's exactly what I was going to say. In addition to that, I was going to say he should be tested out by, by a pro somewhere to be, you know, so he knows he's actually playing a winning game and not because with that kind of variance he had, even if he, I, I don't know his game, but he could have very well been playing a losing game. And Correct. if he had that phenomenal variance, so good on you, dude, but you still could have been playing a losing game and made that money. Correct. Yeah. It, I mean, the big things are, would be, is he playing basic straight? Does he know it cold? Does Is he splitting his nines correctly? Is he hitting and doubling soft 18s correctly? Does he have all his other soft doubles correct? You know, is he hitting 12s against 2-3? Is he standing on 16-V-10 in positive counts, right? I mean, is he doing all these things correctly, right? I mean, does he have basic strategy correct? Does he have at least... Mm-hmm. The more common deviations down cold, is he keeping good track of the count? Is he ramping correctly? Uh, is he or is he not going on tilt? Right. That's important. I've seen people where they'll lose and then they'll just go on tilt. and They'll play wide open, you know, and that's does that that'll burn up a bankroll in a hurry. You know, does he drink? Right. If you're you know, I know this from personal experience. If you're drinking after about the third Cadillac margarita, you know, everything looks like a great <laughs> betting opportunity. Oh, you know, yeah. He, so, so those for for the listener, those would be the hard questions to ask himself. Those, you know, to answer the question whether he should stop or not. If he feels like he's just gambling and he's not really winning, or he's not a winning player, then the Take best thing the would be thirty-seven grand. Quit. Yeah, go buy something. Yeah, go buy something neat. But uh, yeah, I agree completely, and I would also say that. If he is, if he does honestly think, believe, and is tested out that he's playing a winning game, the question to ask yourself is, do you believe in the math or not? If you believe in the math, keep playing. If you don't believe in the math and you're betting accordingly and your ramp's correct, you're not overbetting or even worse, sometimes underbetting your bankroll, then go for it. If you believe in the math, go for it. If you don't believe in the math, like you said, take that 37 grand and go put it in the stock market or go buy your wife or yourself something something nice yeah go buy a new honda civic <laughs> there you go it's, it's something cool yeah so as far as your friends telling you that you're a compulsive gambler that's not uncommon because they just don't understand yeah that's uh, i would say that's quite common with people who are not gamblers they will often just look at any sort of gambling as just compulsive gambling right I and mean, there are a lot of compulsive gamblers out there and there are a lot of a lot of 
compulsive gamblers who don't think they're compulsive gamblers, just like there are a lot of people who drink alcohol. And there are a lot of people who are alcoholics who don't think they're alcoholics. So, but it doesn't mean every person who's in a casino is a compulsive gambler. There, some portion of the people in there are literally just there for entertainment and they're living within their means. And there are a handful of people, APs, who are actually beating the casino. And we could tell that because the casinos kick them out. Exactly. Um, but there, but there are a lot of compulsive gamblers losing, destroying their lives by being in casinos. See it every day. Yeah. And I, I could see like this guy says he was up $76,000 at a starting bankroll for, Three hundred. I can see his from his uh, average Doe friends thinking, man, you you're up more than some people make in a year. Quit, and you're giving it back. Why are you giving it back? You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, Snowman. So that's the mailbag questions for today. We'll have more for you folks down the road. And thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Here's a few messages from our sponsors. By the fact that you're listening to a podcast about blackjack and advantage play. It's clear that you're interested in this topic and most likely interested in becoming the best blackjack player you can become. Now, I suppose there are exceptions to this. Like, for example, maybe you're an uninterested significant other trapped in the car listening to this. Or maybe you're a kid trapped in the car forced to listen to this because your phone is dead and you can't tune out the world with your headphones in like you normally would. And by the way, kids, I apologize for all the f bombs that I've dropped on this show. Please don't follow my example. Or maybe, just maybe, you don't like money and you want to continue to play blackjack and not make your game better. If you happen to fall in any of those categories, by all means, tune out and don't listen to a word that I have to say right here. But if you want to learn how to be the best blackjack player you can be, learn and grow your game, I suggest you check out blackjackapprenticeship.com. They offer what is, in my opinion, not only a world-class education on the game of blackjack, but the absolute best education you can find anywhere for this game. They offer online training drills, a supportive community, as well as other exclusive tools that are critical to your success. Even if you already know the ins and outs of this game and don't really need the training they offer per se. That's great. I'm kind of in that boat myself and I imagine there are several others of you that are as well. So even for people like us, just the opportunities and networking alone that this site offers is worth the price of admission and then some. I also can't stress enough that it is a wonderful and supportive community of other APs. There is almost no trolling in the forums there. So once again, I urge you to check out blackjackapprenticeship.com if you're serious about growing your game. The new house is amazing, so much character. Original crown molding, walk-in closets. We do have a rat problem. At least Geico makes bundling our home and car insurance easy. It does help us save. For bundling made easy, go to geico.com.